It's Joe's class on 88.9 The Bridge. KMIH Mercer Island. It is Joe's class, the only high school class where the lessons are taught live on the radio that we know of. My name is Joe Bryan. I'm the teacher, but the real stars are the students. And uh, we've got two real stars today. One that talks to the stars. This guy has done more interviews in uh, two years of high school than I probably did in my first two years of radio. Sam Pador, welcome to Joe's class. Thank you, Joe. So uh, Sam has uh, interviewed a lot, and I mean a lot. How many interviews do you think you've done of music people so far uh, since you've been in high school here? I think upwards of 55, something like that. Yeah, I, I had my first one in the end of freshman year, and I've been doing them ever since. Early sophomore year was crazy for him. I, I think my maximum was I did three in one day. That was that was a big day. <laughs> we're going to feature a couple of your interviews, just most recently, not necessarily who we're going to play today, but who have you talked to recently, as in the last few days recently? Well, yesterday morning, I spoke to Chuck Lavelle, the piano player um, who played with the Allman Brothers and later on with the Rolling Stones. So and he, still plays with the yes, Rolling Stones. he's going on tour with them in the next couple months. So I, I got to interview Chuck Lavelle. I, I, someday we should do a let's listen to Joe's interview and Sam's interview and I think yours <laughs> would be a lot better than mine. But Chuck is a, is such a nice guy and, and uh, one of my favorite Christmas albums ever. He put out an album just for his friends and it was so good they said, you should release this. And he did. And uh, uh, Chuck is just such a talent. Who else have you talked to lately? Lately? Let's see. I, um, oh man, you're, you're catching me off guard here. I talked to... Um, <laughs> let's see. I, I did a guy we're going to feature later. I think Tom Constantin recently, a, a month or so ago, I talked to Mark Farner of Grand Funk Railroad. Wow. I just heard, uh, closer to home driving into work today. Um, Grand Funk Railroad. I'm getting closer to my world. Now, I don't do that justice, but. Kate, I know that was that that made you probably grimace a little. We're also joined by Kate Lennington, who's been on Joe's class uh, before. Kate, thank you so much for getting up and coming in again this morning. And you were just saying something about we should do singing on Valentine's, but I don't think that's what you had in mind there. Yeah, that's not exactly what I was thinking. But you know, you know, I always love your singing, Joe. Definitely, definitely adds to my morning. <laughs> Well, one thing uh, I found out about you two guys just that I didn't realize is uh, while I've known you both as, as my students and I've known you both, I feel like I know you pretty well. We've uh, You've both been in my class, you know, now going into your, your junior year, your third year. But you guys have been going to school much longer than that together. Oh, yeah. Back to uh, Mr. Wallen's kindergarten yeah, class, this, right? this will be our 12th year in school together. Wow. That's something, isn't it? <laughs> now, I, 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 you've both obviously changed a lot. I would say Sam probably maybe even a little more. I mean, <laughs> if you walked into Mr. Wallen's, if he's still around, if you walked in there and said who you were, I mean, now you're big beard, curly hair. I mean, you don't look anything like you did as a kindergarten, safe to say. Yeah, I, I I see pictures of myself from when I was like six, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's I used to look like that. You know, it's uh, definitely something. Were you guys friends in kindergarten, or were were you did you were you on each other's radar in any way, or did you hang at different uh, lunch break uh, tables, or how was how was your relationship through elementary? I'm not sure. I know that like I don't I I don't think we were necessarily like friends friends but we definitely like knew of each other and like um you know if we were ever like at the same table group or something we were friendly <laughs> like i don't know that's good well i, I don't really remember honestly yeah me neither <laughs> i've made a ton of friends in school but i didn't ever have the real chance to just go to to one school district the whole time like you guys did uh 
I moved around a lot. I went, I counted up. I went to 13 schools to get my first 12 years of education in. That's oh, not wow. counting college or anything. Wow. Uh, so I did some moving around. So it's great to have, uh, you know, to be able to put down roots. What a wonderful community. We broadcast from Mercer Island High School in Mercer Island, Washington. And uh, it's kind of a small town right next to a big town. And it's like, why would you want to move? You know, you move here. It's a great place to raise kids. And, and maybe when you guys get older, you might decide you want to do something different. But what a wonderful place. Well, we were a couple minutes tardy getting uh, ready with Joe's class. So I want to run down what we've got going and, and then we'll get into some news. Um, we, uh, we're going to play a couple pieces that Sam has uh, this morning. He won the New York Times uh, podcast challenge last year with a piece um, about Woodstock. And it's from the, from the mouths of the people who played, stories of Woodstock from people like Arlo Guthrie. And a super special piece. I think it, it definitely is something I would love to feature. You mentioned Tom Costanton. We will we'll also play a little sample of uh, Sam's recent interview with TC. If you don't know him, he was the original uh, keyboard player for the Grateful Dead. I got a pre-sale thing for Dead & Company. They're playing that sphere in Las Vegas. Um, and the pre-sale was yesterday. And I'm pretty excited. I logged in and uh, quickly was not as excited when I saw the prices being offered for those tickets. Uh, I wonder what TC would think about. And maybe he'll even play there because he's around. But uh, they were offering me a really nice seat for $790. That was for one show. <laughs> yeah, that's a little excessive. I know I've seen a lot on, on the internet of uh, all the all the Grateful Dead fans being like, oh, man, back in the day, I could go to a show for like $20. And now they're asking this for one show. It's, it's oh, yeah. crazy. And if it was $20, it better be New Year's Eve and you're getting three sets. And I saw a lot of New Year's Eve shows. So I'm not one to grumble because, I mean... It, it, you get what you you get what you can get. It, it's show business. It's capitalism. If people won't pay that, the prices go down. If you've got enough to fill every seat, it's like an airplane. Whatever the price dictates. I'm not thrilled about it, um, but anyway, I would like to see some of those shows. But the price needs to drop at least five hundred dollars a seat for me. You know, under two hundred, I might start b becoming a player. We also have a couple of other student-produced pieces we're going to play. Uh, Samo, Samo, uh, one of our uh, intro students. He's his very first podcast, and it's his very first piece. And I want you guys to hear it. It's called Northwest Narratives, and he's giving a little history of our area. This one focuses on Chief Seattle, and it is so good. Uh, we'll get to that. We have STEM news you can use with Sophia LaSalle, but I want to go ahead and start us off, and I'll just do the news today. Usually it's uh, something the students do, but it's a guilty pleasure of mine. I fancy myself a news person, so you guys want to hear my newscast? Oh, we yes. would love to. Yeah, All right, here we go. Let me clear my throat. <clears throat> All right, official, official news. I even have myself an official, let's have an official uh, sounding news here. Here we go. It's time for the news. I think I could find a much better uh, bed than that and, and a better announcer, too. But let's get into it. It's wet this morning in western Washington. If you've been outside, you will notice that. But it's nothing like what the Los Angelinos are dealing with in Southern California. They've seen a foot of rain in the past 48 hours, and there's more on the way today. There's already been 120 mudslides reported in the city of Los Angeles. That's not even counting the outlying area. And the entire state, all the way to the San Francisco Bay, is absolutely getting soaked. If you've got travel plans to SoCal this morning, check your flight status and really reconsider if you need to drive through any mountain passes because all that rain is coming down in snow in the Sierra Nevadas and it's just not a it's not a day to be out on the roads in California if you can avoid it. In Nevada, uh, voters are heading to the polls today to cast their ballots in both the Democratic and Republican primaries, but the Republican vote will not affect the delegate count. Nevada Republicans have while they're still having a primary, they've chosen to award delegates via caucus on Thursday. So Joe Biden's expected to take the majority of the Democratic votes today, 
But Donald Trump's not on the ballot in Nevada, so he's going to wait until Thursday uh, for the caucus results there. Thursday, by the way, is also the day the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be taking its first look at Donald Trump's eligibility to be a presidential candidate based on the 14th Amendment and the events of January 6th. So it's going to be a big day in American politics. Supreme Court's not going to solve anything, I don't think, on day one. This could probably go for a while, but it should be interesting. Uh, this morning, uh, sad news. Uh, it was announced country singer Toby Keith has passed away at age 62 from stomach cancer. Keith was a very patriotic Texan. He performed for presidents from both parties, both Donald Trump and President Obama and uh, President Bush. And he played shows all over the world for U.S. troops. He was also a rare country artist in that he wrote almost all of his songs uh, and songs for other people. A lot of the Nashville songs that you hear are written by professional songwriters like uh, Jim Brown, and there's just a handful that write these hits. But Toby wrote his own over 5,000 songs, he says, he's written, and uh, 20 of them were number one hits. In the early 2000s, I guess you could say, he was kind of Taylor Swift in a cowboy hat. He was producing so many hit songs that they estimated at one point he was worth a half billion dollars, which is a ton of money in the early 2000s. And it's not bad for a guy who didn't even have a hit until his mid-30s. Uh, Toby was interviewed. One of his last interviews, he was asked about songwriting, and uh, he had a little advice for anybody who uh, fancies himself a musician or a songwriter. Here's what Toby suggests. Uh, most advice I have for songwriters are, would be uh, to just toll away every day. There was a, most of my catalog was written at a time when I was writing at least four or five days a week. So you've got to have volume, you've got to have practice, and you've got to keep your chops up, and you've got to stay in the middle of the game. And I'm a believer uh, in that. Have you, either one of you guys, and I'm, I'm guessing the answer is no, but you might surprise me with this, heard of Malcolm Gladwell or, or read the book Outliers? I can't say I have. Yeah, I don't think I have. His theory is that to get really good at something, you have to do it for 10,000 hours. And that's when oh, you, I've heard that. That's when you really get good. And he uses the Beatles as an example. He says, you know, the Beatles went in the Cavern Club in, in Germany. They played six nights a week, six hours a night. I mean, they put in their time. And that's like you with your interview, Sam. <laughs> I'm guessing you're getting a little better. The, the more you do it, the better you get. I hope so. <laughs> I think so. And uh, uh, that's, uh, I think, what Toby Keith is saying is, you know, you, you got to stick with it. You got to grind. I guess that's the 21st century word to use for it. But rest in peace, Toby Keith. He wrote a lot of great songs. A lot of them we probably shouldn't play on a high school radio station because a lot of them are, frankly, glorifying, uh, you know, maybe a little drinking, a little smoking. Um, he wrote his one of his bigger songs was Red Solo Cup. Um Another one was uh, Beer for My Horses, uh, which was a great song he did with Willie Nelson. He even did the song, which I won't play, but it was a hit, I'll Never Smoke with Willie Again, because he was a little too overwhelmed by uh, Willie's stuff. But here's a song that I like by Toby. I don't think it was one of his big hits, but this is called I'll Probably Be Out Fishing. So here's a little, uh, a little tribute to Toby Keith. And when we come back, we will... Uh, talk a little more to Sam about his interviewing, and we'll play you the piece that won him the New York Times podcast contest. If you like classic rock, uh, you're going to want to hear this. But first, here's Toby Keith. But I'll probably be out fishing when my ship comes in. I'll probably be Ship comes in. Toby Keith, 88.9 The Bridge, Joe's class. We don't play a lot of country, but uh, I got a soft spot for Toby. I, I'm not like what I would say as a fan, but uh, I, I respect him a lot as a songwriter. And I did get to see him uh, on two different occasions. Neither one was like 
I was going out of my way to see him. It just kind of happened. And the first time was uh, in the early 2000s when he was just getting started. Uh, a radio guy in Dallas named Kid Craddock said, you got to go see this Toby Keith. He's going to be big. So he took us to a bar in Dallas. And I would say this little bar in Dallas, but there aren't any little bars uh, in Dallas. Everything is big in Texas. <laughs> and this bar is called Gillies, and it was owned by Mickey Gilly, and it was it probably held three or four thousand people, but it was, you know, a bar. And uh, I saw him. I said, "Man, that guy, yeah, he does have some songs." I'm not a huge country fan, but he was really good. And then I caught him about ten years later at Willie Nelson's Fourth of July picnic, and obviously I was going down to see uh, Neil Young and and the Grateful Dead, and some people were playing there too. Uh, but Toby was there, and once again, it's like, man, he was great. So. Uh, Rest in peace, Toby Keith. Uh, stomach cancer took him uh, at age 62, and uh, it's just a, a shame uh, to see another one uh, going to cancer. Uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't care who you are. You can literally be the king of England, and, and cancer don't care. Uh, Prince Charles also diagnosed yesterday. On to uh, on to better and happier uh, things. I want to talk about. Uh, your your pieces, Sam, and it's particularly the one that you won the New York Times podcast uh, competition with last year, uh, because you have interviewed a lot of people, and you decided to take some of your interviews and, and tell a story with them. You want to set this up a little bit before we play it? Yeah, well, sure. I mean, last year I did all of these interviews with all these like classic rock musicians, and I ended up getting like a bunch that had similar stories about, I, I guess, certain things. And one festival that always interested me was Woodstock. I mean, how could it not interest you from like a, a musical perspective? Like that was, you know, maybe one of the, the greatest musical moments of all time. Um, and so a couple days before the, uh, the submission was due, for for the New York Times podcasting thing. I'd already had a plan. I was going to do a piece on like Bob Dylan cuz I I'd interviewed a bunch of his session musicians and I was like, okay, this this will be kind of fun, kind of interesting. But like literally 2 days beforehand, I interviewed this one guy, the drummer from Canned Heat. His name is Fito De La Para and he had an amazing story about Woodstock. So I was like, maybe I should change this and you know, here we are. I I put together three of my Woodstock little interview pieces and put it into one one uh, like short five minute thing, and it, it won me this competition. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> well, this is uh, this is conversation that spans generations in the biggest sense. And yes, Woodstock was a huge musical event. It was also a huge cultural event. So here's Sam takes you back to that time. Uh, through through the words of the people who were there. Give this a listen. The Woodstock Music and Art Fair was, without a doubt, a significant part of American history. Over the course of three days in August of 1969, 32 different acts played at a farm in Bethel, New York. The festival housed nearly 500,000 people protesting against the Vietnam War for equality and for the love of music. I'm Sam Pador, and I got the opportunity to speak to three of Woodstock's performers. So together, let's explore their memories surrounding the festival. Due to intense traffic from people trying to get to the festival, blues band Canned Heat's drummer, Vito De La Para, and the rest of his band couldn't get there by car. Instead, they hijacked a helicopter. In the beginning, I didn't want to go. We were going through some changes. Our guitar player, Henry, had just quit the week before, and I didn't know what Woodstock was. I was a recently arrived immigrant from Mexico, and uh, and I was just very happy to be in this band, you know, playing blues music and becoming quite popular. My manager came to my room in the hotel and physically dragged me out of bed and convinced me. He comes and wakes me up and goes, turn the radio on, turn the TV on, look, look what's going on there is half a million people over there 
this is going to be the biggest gig you've ever played. And I'm just basically saying, what the hell? I don't even know what Woodstock is. What, what is this, you know? So finally, he convinced me to go. And, and we head on to White Kills, New York, where the airport was. We're all tired. We're all beat up and stuff. And we're not feeling very good. I'm laying down in the tarmac, just waiting to see something happening. So this uh, helicopter shows up and these two journalists run towards the airport. So we go running after them. And I remember they, they went into the helicopter and then the bear goes to one of them and says, where do you think you are going? And you know, the kid, he goes, well, we're going to report the news. So Bob grabs him and pulls him out of the helicopter and tells him, no, you are not. We are going to make the news. So we jump on the helicopter and we pretty much hijack the helicopter from the press. They were two. We were five. We were five dangerous hippies. They didn't want to mess with us. We were the canned heat. We were going to go play the boogie for Woodstock. They knew they had no way that they were going to commandeer that helicopter. Although Woodstock was an incredible festival, it wasn't the most organized. In fact, if given the chance to do another show like it, Jefferson Airplane's lead guitarist, Yorma Kaukinen, wouldn't go. Yeah, everybody talks about Woodstock. And of course, you know, it's such an iconic job, but it was such a mess, you know. As a guy that's, that's still working, that's been working all my life doing this kind of stuff, if I had a job like that today to be like, what a terrible job, I hope I never get that job again. But of course it was Woodstock, you know, which made all the difference in the world. With there being rain, disorganization, and 500,000 people to play in front of, Arlo Guthrie, who was only 22 years old at that time, was very understandably scared. The fact that there's 500,000 people watching you, it was scary. I mean, it was raining. Everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. Nevertheless, the spirit of the people themselves overcame all of the stuff. They all put everything aside and they all decided to enjoy themselves. And probably that's why we're still talking about it. Woodstock was an iconic moment of American protest and one of the best examples in modern history of people just being good to each other. It was not just a live gig. It was a cultural event. It was a statement of our generation, of what we wanted done. We wanted peace. We wanted equality. A lot of the struggle that is going on right now, again, we were young, we were together. So that was the whole thing about peace and love. Uh, Woodstock was not just a gig. It was the gig. Where do you see a, a 500,000 people helping each other, loving each other, taking care of each other? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Let me give you something. Are you freaking out from, from a bad trip or something? Yeah, there is a place there where they'll, they'll talk to you. They'll, they'll help you. Everywhere, everywhere there was, there was friendliness. So although it may seem like just another concert, Woodstock was so much more than that. It was a congregation of people in 1969 that wanted peace, love, and nothing but that. The people up on stage and watching these performances had something to say about war, injustice, and everything we so strongly fight against today. So although Woodstock happened over 50 years ago, a lot of what it stood for still remains extremely relevant to this day. I'm Sam Pador, and thank you so much for listening. All right, Sam. <laughs> <clears throat> you can see... Uh... Why that that did so well in the New York Times uh, contest? Really w well done, and uh, you've since uh, you could do a part two because you've talked to a lot of other people that have played Woodstock since, uh, including Tom Constantin of the Grateful Dead, who uh, you taught sat down with recently. Yeah, I mean, with with his story um, with Woodstock, I know I I asked him about it, and he wasn't such a huge fan of the festival. I know the Grateful Dead didn't have their best set that day, um, but it it's just been so cool from my perspective to you know capture all these stories because you know one day one day they're not going to be here, and it's just something that I'm I'm really passionate about is just learning about what's going on in the past. Um, just music history, you know, that that's really cool to me. Well, yeah. go ahead. Sorry, Kate. Um, I just had a question for Sam. Um, how did you like get into this in into in, like get into this music? Like was it anyone in particular or did you just start listening to it? Um, well, I think from a very young age, my dad was showing me like music kind of like this. I grew up on two different artists pretty much. I grew up on the Beatles and Pete Seeger. 
So from a very young age, I had like folk in my life and I had, I guess, rock. Your dad is a smart man. He raised <laughs> you right. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, uh, he definitely did. I, I, you know, that music has always stuck with me and over COVID, I really just had nothing going on. So the highlight of my week would be driving to the grocery store with my dad, listening to music. And every every day we would do that, we he would like play a song and be like, oh, who's this by? What album? Who's What's the song called? And that really like helped train me. And I guess over over COVID, I just listened to a lot more music. And then freshman year came around and I, I started doing radio stuff, which of course just like propelled me to the 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 next level of music nerd stuff like i i learned so much based off of freshman year i did like a music show i would program an hour um and then by the end of that year i did my first interview and the interviews too they just like you know i i will see someone's name and i'll be like who is that what what have they done and then i'll listen to their stuff and it it shows me you know even more music it's it, it's just been like a a whole process i don't know well if you want to hear more of this and there is lots i mean the treasure trove sam's show is called my back pages and it's on everywhere you get your podcasts you can just search my back pages kmih if you want to narrow it down a little and uh, you'll find interviews there with uh oh paul rogers um arlo guthrie i'm just trying to think of all the people that we've mutually chuck lavelle is going up soon um, what are a couple of other ones you're particularly proud of? Proud of, let's see, Steve Hackett. Steve that was Hackett a good from one. Genesis, amazing, yeah. Um, just a couple days ago, I put up my my interview with the, the oldest person I've done, 90 years old, Bunk Gardner, who played with the Mothers of Invention, so Frank Zappa in his very early days, in the, the early 60s. Wow. And yeah. you've even got not people that weren't music, but were in the scene. Ken Babs, you talked yep. to him. Ken from Babs, the Mary, Mary Pranksters. So, so here's a, how old are you? 17. There's a 17-year-old <laughs> guy interviewing us. Really, the people who made history in the 60s, and you are collecting history, uh, Sam. And I'm so proud of, of what all you guys do. And I want to play something now to shift gears. This is history, and this is the first thing that this student has ever done. Think of this as his first piece. His name is Samo Lucilla, and this is about history. He's going to start doing a feature called Northwest Narratives, and it's about the history of our region, the history of the Salish Sea and, and the people who lived here before any of us lived here. And uh, here's his first one. This is a little piece on Chief Seattle. And I think when the New York Times podcast competition comes this year, Samo is going to be able to make something wonderful because listen to the wonderful, I know I'm using the word wonderful a lot here, that's, uh, but I don't know how else to describe the production from a kid who this is his very first thing. Give this a listen. Hi, I'm Sama Laska, and this is Northwest Narratives, the story of those who shaped the Salish Sea. Today, I'm talking about Chief Seattle, the chief of the Duwamish and Squamish tribes and the man our city is named after. Seattle was born on Duwamish land near Tukwila. When Seattle was a child, he saw George Vancouver's ships passing through the Puget Sound. Later, Vancouver anchored the ships, the HMS Discovery and the HMS Catham, at the Squamish Summer Village on Bainbridge Island. In the late 1700s, Seattle witnessed epidemics of new diseases introduced by the fur traders, thus decimating the Puget Sound's native population. It's estimated that 12,000 people, over 30% of the native population, died from smallpox, measles, and influenza. Seattle grew up both the Duwamish and Squamish dialects of Lukosid. Because of his parents' lineage, Seattle inherited the position as the chief of the Duwamish tribe from his uncle, and he built a strong alliance between the two nations of his parents. Seattle was known for his daring leadership as he had high praise as a warrior. After a large conflict with the settlers moving to the area, Seattle was made chief of six other Coast Salish tribes. Later on in his life, he had a more positive view of the European Americans in the area. And under Chief Seattle's leadership, the Duwamish provided guides, transportation, and other help to the new Europeans. Chief Seattle and his tribes were helpful in times of distress. The Duwamish helped shelter newcomers, teaching them how longboards could be split from straight-grained cedar. 
The Duwamish also traded salmon, venison, furs, and even potatoes from the Duwamish gardens to the new arrivals. Seattle was an amazing influence, but it's debated if what he did was beneficial to the native people in the area. What would have been different if he was more hostile to the Europeans? How would Seattle and the whole Pacific Northwest be different? Remember, Seattle is Duwamish land, and thanks for listening to KMIH 889thebridge. Yeah, Samo. That was I mean, impressive. Yeah. That was very well done. What did you say? I mean, that was his first episode. It's going to be called Northwest Narratives, and I can't wait to hear uh, what episode two is about. But we assigned our intro students, and Samo's only been in, in this since uh, since we started school this year, to all do a podcast or a feature or something like that to get them kind of thinking in that vein. And uh, that's what he did. And very informative. The production that you can hear the guys chopping on the wood you can hear the boat going by i mean that's that's cool stuff very cool stuff uh speaking of cool stuff um kate also makes very cool stuff um of all sorts and i want to mention and you're going to do the sports kate but to lead in the sports i want to play something you made this week that uh it is february fundraising (laughs) we don't ask for money a lot around here but February, and it's the shortest month. We chose the shortest (laughs) month to make it our fundraising month, and we are a non-commercial station. You haven't heard us playing any commercials, have you? Uh, So to keep us rolling, we do need, you know, some donations, and uh, you can donate by going to kmih.org. 100% of the money goes to the Booster Club, which goes to uh, scholarships for uh, field trips and to buy a software and just all the little extra things that we don't want to burden the uh, Mercer Island School District's uh, budget with. So if you would like to donate, I will tell you, go to KMIH.org. But let's have Kate and Sophia tell you because they do it so much better than me. Uh, here's uh, Kate, Kate uh, Lennington and Sophia LaSalle uh, asking, uh, would you please donate? Hey, Kate, remember when we made that rap last year? That one to get people to donate to the Bridges February fundraiser? Yeah, let's not do that again. I think we need something more creative. Do you hear that? Is that our favorite beat? I I just have to. February fundraiser? It's February, and we're looking for donations. Why, you ask, to support our station. On KMIH, we have no commercials playing. So we need donations so we can keep creating. Our music, software, and hardware, too, are funded with donations, so thank you. If you want to support us, it's super quick. Go to the Bridges website and just click on the donate button. That's it. Thanks for helping keep our station lit. It's Kate and Sophia, your favorite rappers. This is 88.9. Now on to other matters. Yeah. And you got to see the video. They even have a music <laughs> video out for that uh, one now. If you go to our Instagram, you will see uh, Kate and Sophia's video that yes. they made. And uh, and the last, you guys made one last year. And when, we, yeah. when you made that, our little meter that measures our donations went... Straight up. I think you asked for money way better than I do. So. Uh, well, I hope that we're improving because for the last few like promos, we've just been making raps. And I feel like every time we make one, they just get better. Yeah, it's great. Well, I want to keep us moving here because uh, the actual Joe's class where I have to take attendance and sit in a classroom starts at 8. And we've got lots more to do. Mm-hmm. So let's get into some sports, Kate. I know you've got a few things yes. uh, ready on that front. So I'll toss it over to Kate for... A sports update and big news uh, here on Mercer Island sports-wise. You're listening to KMIH 88.9 The Bridge with your sports headlines. Starting here at home, last night was the end of the boys' basketball season following their loss to Bellevue with a final score of 37-51. to Unfortunately, that means they are out of the playoffs. In better news, the Mercer Island girls' basketball team defeated Liberty last night with a close final score of 60-54. to with this win, the girls' basketball team will continue in the playoffs. Yeah, girls. And we broadcast that game. If anybody was listening, exciting game. And uh, really proud to see those uh, those girls are, are continuing. And, and Caitlin Monahan, in particular, one of our radio stars and basketball stars, uh, really thrilled to see her do so well. Yes, very exciting. And finally, as the Super Bowl approaches, one, one sure winner will be casino, casinos and online gaming. 
It is estimated that more than $23 billion will be wagered on Sunday's showdown between the Chiefs and the 49ers. The interest in the game is high due to the close matchup and the fact that it's easier than ever to bet, and because of Taylor Swift. Her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, is getting asked plenty of questions about Taylor, about Taylor, and here is what he had to say after her record-setting night at the Grammys. Yeah, Travis is a good sport. To, uh, he, 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 he really rolls with it. Here's what he said about Taylor. She's unbelievable. She's uh, she's rewriting the history books herself. Uh, I told her I'll have to hold up my end of the bargain and come home with some hardware, too. I don't know if I brought too much to the game. I think I, I just go out there and have fun. You know, um, Taylor has an unbelievable fan base that uh, that follows her and supports her throughout her life. And uh, it's been fun to kind of gather the Swifties in the Chiefs kingdom and uh, open them up to uh, the, the football world and the sports world. And it's been cool to just experience all that. Now, I know you fancy yourself a Swifty, Kate. I do. You, so that's okay to call you that. Sam kind of backs away from the mic. I know, <laughs> know he knows even what to do with that. But You'd as, be surprised. As a Swifty, do you feel that you've become more of a football fan? Or do you, do you, did you love football? Or do you still not, not care about football? What's your status on football? Um, When I... So I've never been the biggest football fan. When the Seahawks were really good, when we were like, when um, like me and Sam were younger, I was a little bit more invested. But honestly, I I have not been any more invested since Taylor Swift joined. Like I'm not. I I I know a lot of people have been, but I'm not personally going to watch a three hour football game to see like 25 seconds of Taylor Swift like smiling and waving. And like I just haven't been able to. I don't know. Football football is not necessarily my cup of tea. It's it's a little too slow of a game. <laughs> but um but I don't know. I personally think that like people care way too much about Taylor's personal life. Like I like her music and I and I think she's a great songwriter and like a great performer and all those things, but like um I used to be a lot more invested in her personal life, but now it's kind of like I don't know. She's like she is a celebrity, but it's, like, she's also just, like, a person. So, like, I don't know. I feel like people are very invested. Like, so there's this whole there's this whole online – I don't know if it's a controversy per se, but she has a show in Japan, um, like, the night before the, um, the Super Bowl. And everyone's, like, how is she going to get back? And it, got, it became such a big deal that the, that the Japanese embassy made a statement that they that they are assured that Taylor Swift will be on time to the Super Bowl. So I just feel like it's gotten a little bit out of hand and people need to like calm down a little bit. So the statement is like if you're going to the Taylor Swift show, do not ask her for any autographs. Do not block her way. She needs to get out of here, <laughs> get on her charter jet and Well, get... basically everyone's the whole public has been so anxious, like, oh my gosh, will she be able to go? Like it's we're so worried. And so the and they was like be having such a big deal that they had to make an announcement like don't worry guys she will have enough time to fly to where's the Super Bowl happening Las Vegas she will have enough time she will make it to Las Vegas and I just think it's kind of I don't know it's just, it just seems a little ridiculous and to all me. planes lead to Las Vegas it's the easiest place <laughs> in the world to fly into and out of it's 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 happening all the time well I I respect the heck out of her and I can't believe there's a lot of people in my generation that. You know, or or are getting upset that she is connected with the NFL, but it's like, hey, she has a boyfriend. He happens to be a professional football player. She's going to watch him play football. She's yeah. not the one pointing cameras at her. You know, and she can't help it if she's one of the most famous people in the world and she wants to watch her boyfriend play football. Yeah. Do we expect her to put on a disguise to go there? I mean, plus she is a great marketer. I mean, I saw the Grammys where she uh, announced her new record coming out. Yes. Everybody else is crying and thanking their moms. And Taylor's like, by the way, I have a, a new record. And as soon as I get off this stage, I'm going to go put the cover up so everybody can see it. Oh, uh, yeah. She's very, very, she... very brilliant. I, well, it's funny when she announced that um, I I didn't actually watch the Grammys. I kind of forgot they were happening. But I like logged on Instagram. What and kind of Swifty like, are you? You forget mm. that there's going to be a record-setting Grammy? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I respect you all the more, Kate. Uh, but You probably you had know, homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so I logged on Instagram, and there it was, and I was like, oh, my God, because everyone was expecting her to announce that she was releasing Reputation Taylor's version. And something she is very successful at is 
subverting expectations. Like every time we ex- like her fan base expects something from her, she does something else. She announces a new album. She like so it. So I think it was one of those situations. But it's kind of funny because for some reason, like in my brain, I kind of thought she was gonna release all of her Taylor's versions. She has a reputation in her debut album left to release Taylor's versions of. And then she was going to release more music. So I, I was definitely taken off guard. Well, it's called Surprise and Delight. <laughs> and she does a great job of uh, keeping everybody on their toes, surprising them and, and delighting them. So I'm all for it. But now I am going to take a trip back to the 20th century mm-hmm. before Taylor Swift was writing hit songs. And uh, Sam is going to take us back there because you interviewed Tom Costanton recently, who that won't name won't mean a lot to many people, but if you're a fan of the Grateful Dead, uh, it would certainly mean something because Tom was the original keyboard player. And uh, anything you want to say to set this one up? Yeah. I mean, I, I got to interview him, what, two months ago. It was it was really cool because I've, you know, I've always wanted to get one of the the real members of the Grateful Dead. Um, and even though Tom was only in the band for like two years, the the late '60s were a really cool time for for the Grateful Dead. Their style was like totally different because they had, I mean, I guess a total like different frontman if you could call him that. Pigpen, um, he, you know, he died in what '73. So the the scope of the band was totally like it shifted when he left. And uh, Tom just had a lot to say about the early days of the band that, you know, it's just it was really cool to, to hear from him. Well, just like you're a Swifty, Kate, uh, <laughs> when I was a kid and I guess I still am. Now, I guess I, at the time I was a young deadhead. Now, I guess I'm an old deadhead. So <laughs> this kind of stuff is very exciting to me. Let's give it a listen. Here's uh, Sam Pador talking to Tom Constantin from The Grateful Dead. Hi, I'm Sam Pador, and I'd like to welcome Tom Constantin. Tom played keyboards with The Grateful Dead from 1968 to 1970. So welcome, Tom. How are you doing today? Uh, ambulatory. Mean to stay that way. <laughs> yeah, that's a big word there, right? Oh, you're going to get a lot of them. Look out. Well, as someone with extensive classical education and background, how would you say that affected your playing with the Grateful Dead? It was all I had uh, when I joined them. Uh, my background was all I had, and I brought it with me, and it's what I went with. Ta- I-, I wasn't able to tailor things or manipulate the universe that much back then. I was very young, and uh, I did have that background, as you mentioned, and uh, I just went with it. It's what I had. Uh, Anthem of the Sun, there's a place where I quoted a Brahms concerto. Oh, wow. So uh, this is the sort of, it was the stuff that was in my hands and in my head. So you, you really, like, studied music in school and, like, for years before you joined the band, right? Oh, yes. I've been to Europe. I studied avant-garde composition with Carlton Schlockhausen and Pierre Boulez and Luciano Berrio and spent a couple of months at Henri Pousseau's electronic music studio and Brussels. And uh, before that, when I grew up in Las Vegas, I took uh, advanced music lessons for the university. There was a guy who was the music department. He was a whole department. There wasn't anybody else. And uh, he arranged for me to have a performance of a piano piece of mine with the orchestra. Oh, wow. So uh, this was going on uh, quite in advance, yes. So that's like a lot different from like your experimental like jams with the grateful dead right oh everything is all different all the time although the uh, electronic music in europe uh, sort of applied mm-hmm. and if anything i sort of squared up a bit to fit in really okay oh yes oh that and uh, uh impro- improvisation also uh, steve reich had a series of concerts in San Francisco that I joined in on, which were very improvisatory. This was in 1964. Oh, wow. And and you joined the Grateful Dead from the Air Force, right? I was spirited away, yes. I would have joined earlier, but I had this obligation, and I didn't want to go to Canada or jail. So I'd received a draft notice from the Army. And uh, at the time, enlisting in the Air Force, was something that they would accept as an excuse. Oh, wow. So I didn't have to show from the Army. I, I want a programming computer. 
for the Air Force at Nellis Air Force Base, Nevada, instead of programming a potentially malfunctioning M16 in Southeast Asia. Yeah, good, good for you there. I, I know with the times being in the military, um, I mean, in the 60s with the Vietnam War and everything, that that's just, when I saw that, I was so surprised because the music community then was very, like, anti-military almost. Oh, yeah, yes. There, there was no uh, thank you for the service sort of things going around when I walked into a restaurant. Uh, there are two tunes that sort of summed up the background music for that time. It was uh, Downtown by Petula Plark, which is Let's Go Out and Have Fun, and Eve of Destruction by Barry McGuire. And both of them were very high in our minds. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, we were getting high in our own minds, so we compensated. I'm Sam Pador, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tom Constantin. Tom was the keyboard player with the Grateful Dead from 1968 to 1970, and he just had a lot of really cool stuff to say. Awesome. So if you did enjoy that interview, make sure to check out mybackpages.org to see all of our interviews, and you can find us on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, too. So if you enjoyed that interview, make sure to keep listening for many great interviews just like this one. Great plug for yourself, Sam. <laughs> mybackpages.org. Yeah, that's me. Um, that was just a little four-minute clip from that interview I did with Tom. I think I have like a 20- or 30-minute one up as a as a podcast if you want to hear more about the Grateful Dead and, and that whole experience. So that was a really fun one for me to do. Yep, or Genesis or the Rolling Stones or Leonard Skinner. You just had Artemis Powell. I did. Last surviving member of Leonard Skinner. Yes, that is the next one I'm going to put out. So that will hopefully be up by the end of this week. It's... um. You know, that was cool to talk to him. We talked about the the Skinnerd plane crash, which, you know, that was a very sad thing. But it was really cool to hear it from a survivor of that. Um, there there aren't too many left in in who survived the plane crash, and he's of course the last original. Well, not original, but he's the last classic lineup member left. He he played drums with them, um, yeah, for for the last couple of years of of the Ronnie Van Zant era of Leonard yep. Skinner. And uh, since we lost Gary Rosington, I think he is the last of that era. Well, I'm so proud of the work that all you guys do, uh, Sam and Kate and so many. We've got one more piece to play, uh, uh, STEM News You Can Use, and it's cool. It's about a huge umbrella for the whole planet. But first, here's one of those early Grateful Dead songs. It'll sound about right the way the weather's going today. We'll be right back with STEM News You Can Use on Joe's class, the only high school class where the lessons are taught live on the radio. KMIH Mercer Allen. I'm Joe Bryan. I'm the teacher here at Mercer Allen High, and I, I guess I just should pinch myself. I get to sit around and play Grateful Dead music and talk to my students, and uh, I don't know what I did right in the world, but I feel like I'm in my place right now, uh, and that's a little self-indulgent maybe. Not everybody's a fan, but I am, and I'm just such a fan of your work. And the last thing I want to play is something Sophia LaSalle uh, does on a weekly basis. It's called STEM News You Can Use, and there's always got uh, a, a great story, something in the news, science-related, and I think this is an important story, and we're not going to have a lot of time, but I want to get your take on it after I play it. Uh, this is about a huge umbrella for the whole planet. This is STEM News You Can Use. I'm your host, Sophia, and keep listening to stay updated with what's going on in the world of science and technology. Could a giant space parasol help prevent climate change? Earth is currently at its hottest point in recorded history. To prevent further warming, a growing number of scientists are suggesting that we need to build a massive sunshade to flow between the sun and Earth in outer space. The sunshade would be sent to a faraway point between the sun and earth. It would be able to block a small portion of solar radiation, which would be enough to limit global warming. 
Scientists are still exploring what the shield would be made out of. A group at the University of Utah is trying to scatter dust into deep space, while a team at MIT is working on a shield made of space bubbles. A professor at UHawaii even published a paper suggesting that a big shield could be tethered to an asteroid. In order to block the necessary amount of sunlight, a shade would have to be 1 million square miles. That's the size of Argentina. A shield of that size would weigh over 2.5 million tons, so that would have to be launched into space in a series of smaller components. However, even if a shield of this scale could be built, that would not eliminate the need for other global warming prevention methods. The Earth would still need to limit its burning of coal, oil, and gas, the main drivers of climate change. Critics of the sunshade idea say that it would be expensive and not able to be implemented in enough time to slow global warming. Time and money could be better spent working to lower greenhouse gas emissions in the first place. Regardless, the sunshade still may be a good idea, since it provides another way to limit climate change even if we on Earth aren't able to lower emissions to the necessary levels. I'm Sophia, and this is STEM News You Can Use. What do you think, Sam? Uh, uh, umbrella for the world? You know what? I'm so glad there are people that know how to do that stuff. Because yes. I, I am not one of them, but that is cool. Well, and, and uh, your guys' generation, I apologize on behalf of my generation for kind of messing <laughs> things up. You're, that's This is a problem that we're all going to have to deal with, and obviously you uh, more so than me because you're going to be around longer. I love big ideas. I don't think you should let money, I don't think you should let those things get in the way because big ideas are what it's going to take to solve some of the problems. So I love that it, at least it's being talked about, it's on the radar practical or not um uh we could use a little we could use a little climate control around here well it is 758 i've got to go teach class but there is still another hour of live radio uh from the students uh and uh dylan show is uh going to be hosting today with a, a group of students what do you guys have coming up in the next hour dylan yes thank you joe the eight o'clock hour is going to be awesome we are going to recap the boys and girls basketball games that both happened on monday night the girls won the boys unfortunately lost and their season is over against the cross lake not crosstown rival i should say bellevue beat them for the third time this season so we're going to recap that and then we're going to jump into a new segment called the teacher's lounge that i'm starting up where i'm going to be interviewing as many staff members as i can before i graduate the first one will be mr randolph i had his class last year excited to talk about his career how he ended up as a teacher everything in between and then we're going to go to the super bowl and Really, anything that happened this past week, uh, you know, the Grammys, I'm sure Sam talked about that on the 7 a.m. or uh, prior. So we're going to try to get our Grammy opinions in there. But it's going to be a great 8 o'clock uh, hour. And, yeah, don't turn that dial. Do not. Uh, keep it right here. In fact, just keep it right here all the time. As we say, it's the only bridge you want to be stuck on. 88.9 The Bridge. I'm Joe Bryan. I'm the teacher. I was joined this morning by Sam and Kate. Thanks for getting up and doing Joe's class, guys. We sure appreciate it. Did you have fun? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, good. Well, let's uh, get to regular class. We'll turn it over to, to Dylan and crew. Uh, so uh, keep it right here. You're listening to... KMIH Mercer Island, building bridges one song at a time.